Welcome to Biz Break. Telling stories that reflect the human experience. My name is Jeff Hicks, and I'll be your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Biz Break. Today, I'm going to talk about life on Yap Island. And uh, before I was uh, able to go to Yap, I had to wait for two weeks on Guam for my visa. And so I worked there as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, my companion on Guam was a, a man named Nonu, Fa'alele Nonu. And he was a great guy. In fact, uh, I credit him with the being the individual who helped me get my feet firmly planted uh, in the life of a missionary. He taught me a lot. And uh, one of the things that he said to me before I went out to Yap was, uh, Jeff, just, just love the people and become one of them. They're good people. And they'll help you understand a lot about yourself. And uh, the secret is just to love them. And so that was my goal when I headed out to, to Yap, uh, was because their society and their traditions and their culture uh, were so much different than what I was used to, um, I knew that um, I would just have to immerse myself in, in their culture and become like one of them. That was my goal. So I flew out to Yap uh, in about April, toward the end of April, 1983. And I went out with uh, a guy named Mike Sorensen. Uh, he and I were together as a group when we went out to, to the Micronesian mission. And uh, in fact, he, he got the distinction of having the nickname Gilligan, uh, which, you know, was kind of a, a fun nickname for him. And I'll talk about that uh, in a few minutes. So uh, our flight out was fairly uneventful. We stopped off in Palau on the way, let some people off, got a few people on, and then we flew off uh, to Yap. So Continental Airlines in those days flew kind of a, a route throughout Micronesia. And that just happened to be the route that that we took that day to get to Yap. And uh, in those days, Yap had an old Japanese airstrip that they were landing those 737 jets on. And uh, the airstrip was full of potholes and was short and was surrounded by jungle and little rolling hills. And uh, before we landed... The pilot came on the intercom and said, okay, everybody, get in the crash position because this, this is an old airstrip and the, as soon as we touch down, I'm going to hit the brakes and the reverse thrust to stop this aircraft and you need to be in the crash position. So <laughs> I looked across the aisle. There was a native Yappies guy. I figured he was from Yap sitting there, and he got right into the crash position like he knew what he was doing. So I just followed along and did what he did. And uh, Sorensen was sitting in front of me, and he 
kind of looked back, wondering what was going on. I gave him that look, like I didn't know. And so we were all huddled down there like you do in the crash position. And the, the pilot was absolutely correct. That plane touched down and immediately uh, the brakes went on, the reverse thrust, a bunch of noise. And uh, if we wouldn't have been hunched down there, we probably would have fallen out of our seats. Of course, you know, the seat belts, we were seat belted in. But anyway, we taxied down to the end of the runway, the jet spun around. I looked out the window and saw the wreckage from a jet that had crashed the year before. So talk about um, having that little moment of, of fear come over me. But I was glad we didn't crash. So we taxied down and there was a little, a little terminal that was more like a, a little hut sitting off to the side of the runway and that's where all of our baggage was taken. We walked through there. The guy at the baggage, uh, at, at the little terminal, checking the baggage, said, hey, you got any stuff in this suitcase that uh, is against the law? No. Do you have any beetle nut? No. You carrying anything into the island that you shouldn't? No, not that I know of. Okay, how long are you going to be here? I think I'm going to be here about a year and a half. All right, just make sure that you get your visa updated at the right time. You'll be all right. Uh, welcome to Yap. So I grabbed my stuff and headed out. And that was uh, kind of the all it took to get on to Yap, just to have the right paperwork. And I looked around as I was walking off uh, toward where the crowd of people were and the folks that were supposed to be there to pick us up, I figured were there somewhere. I looked around, noticed um, instantly that there were people with various um, levels of yappies clothing. And that was the first thing I noticed. I couldn't help notice it. Um, there was a couple of guys wearing what were called, that I later learned were called thews. And which were just little um, wraparound pieces of cloth. Some of them had strips of pandanus woven in there. That's all they wore, no shirt. And, uh, and the women, some of them, had uh, skirts that went from their waist down to about their knees. And, uh, and a lot of those women weren't wearing shirts either. Uh, but I learned later that a lot of the women wearing those um, skirts, the woven skirts, were just Outer Island ladies that lived on Yap. A lot of the Yapese women, some of them would wear grass skirts if they were in their village. Um, if they went into Colonia, which was the kind of the business center of the island, they would usually put on a, a dress or pants or something and and wear a shirt. So there were different various types of customs of dress and uh, didn't bother me a bit. I realized um, I'm coming to a place where the culture is different and I'll get used to it. And um, the people were very nice and polite and kind. They smiled a lot. Now, let me mention, there's this thing called betel nut. And uh, it's a little 
a little ground uh, green nut that grows there on the island. And uh, you take a nut, split it in half, dump some lime on it, and put a, a uh, pepper leaf around it. Put it in your mouth and chew it up. And it creates this, um, this juicy spit in your mouth that's extremely red. Looks almost like bright red blood. And uh, I never chewed betel nut, but I understand, according to the people, that it gives you kind of a little buzz when you chew it. It's habit forming, and it's it's part of the culture of yap to chew betel nut. So if you're yappies or if you're um, a member of one of the outer islanders of, and came in to live on yap, you probably chewed betel nut. It's part of the culture. So... Um, I want to just tell a few stories about Yap. Um, when I got there, my companion that was assigned to me was this guy named uh, Paul Apita. He was a, a Tongan guy, and we were going to work together. And then Sorensen uh, was uh, partnered up with uh, a, a really good guy from Wyoming. His name was Lundy. And... Um, and so we all jumped in our little green pickup and headed out to, to go home. Now, this little green pickup was a, a 2000 or a 1982 Toyota little short bed pickup, two wheel drive. And uh, it, it had shower curtain fenders, which means that the rust had taken over and rotted the, the body out. And for a, a pickup that was only about a year and a half old, I could tell that it had seen its wear. Probably never been washed, ever. Didn't matter. At least it got us home. And uh, so the first story, we were invited to uh, some really nice Filipinos house for lunch one day. And about a month or so after I got to the island, these Filipinos uh, were, were known for cooking excellent food, very tasty. And um, so we had Filipino chicken, we had um, hot dogs that were kind of, uh, that were cooked in this egg wash, really good stuff. Kind of a green salad thing made up of different things that I didn't know what, what it was. It was just really tasty. And sitting right in the middle of the, the table, the kitchen table, was a bowl of boonie peppers. Now, I'd never um, been around boonie peppers before. I didn't know what they were. But I learned when I got to Yap that that's what they were, boonie peppers. I don't know what the, the official name of them is. But they're little green peppers that are about two or two and a half inches long. Grow on a bush. And according to... This Filipino lady, they were close to the hottest pepper on the earth. And she told us that. She said, I wouldn't eat those if I were you, unless you can tolerate eating extremely hot food. Well, I decided instantly I wasn't even going to try it. I didn't want to. I don't like a burning mouth. But Sorensen started bragging about how he'd eaten every hot pepper known to man. 
and that these boonie peppers were going to be nothing. He loved peppers. And so when we sat down for lunch, we all loaded our plates and started eating and were visiting and having a, a nice conversation. And suddenly Sorensen decided it was time for him to, to jump into the, the pepper eating. So he grabbed a few of those peppers out of that bowl, stuck one in his mouth and started chewing it up. All the while saying, oh, these peppers, I've eaten every pepper. These, these are nothing. Well, suddenly the heat hit and he changed his tune. And he started coughing and sputtering and the water was boiling out of his eyes. And the snot was coming out of his nose. And uh, we were all kind of looking at, looking at him because he was, he pretty quickly was in uh, trouble. And we could tell because he couldn't breathe very well. His face was so red that it was almost purple. And uh, he couldn't get that heat out of his mouth. It had taken over everything. And so that little Filipino lady, she was smart and knew what to do. She grabbed Sorensen by the collar and jerked him out of a seat and hauled him over to the sink. And she ran to the refrigerator, grabbed something out of there, a little jug of, of white liquid. And she grabbed Sorensen with one hand and the pitcher in the other hand and started dumping that stuff in his mouth. And he was coughing and sputtering and she leaned him over the sink so he could dump everything right in the sink. And uh, <laughs> all this while, while this little lady was saving Sorensen's life, we were sitting back, the rest of us were sitting back there laughing because it was, it was extremely funny. We couldn't help it. And um, because Sorensen was just kind of an idiot. He was kind of an idiot. One of those guys that you just kind of give him that look every time he says and does stuff because he's so off the wall. Anyway, it's a good thing that that little Filipino lady was there because Sorensen probably would have died otherwise. I mean, we knew CPR. We could have helped him get air back into his lungs. But, uh, but that pepper was shutting him down. Anyway, we didn't have to hear any more bragging from Sorensen about being the pepper aficionado anymore after that lunch incident. And I still laugh about that when I think of that scene. It was just really funny to me. Anyway, uh, when we got to Yap in uh, about April of, of 1983, they were having a drought. Um, and the only water on the island came out of a, a well that was out by the uh, airport. The one that we landed in, the old Japanese airport. And so we would have to take 50-gallon drums and put them in the back of that Toyota pickup and haul them down to the airport and fill them. About once a week, we would get 200 gallons every week. Haul it back home. We made these screens to put over the, the, the large barrels to keep the water from splashing out as we are tearing down the road going on two wheels around the corners and like a couple of a bunch of crazy teenagers because we were about 19 years old anyway we'd get home 
And uh, we'd have to have enough empty barrels at home to, to siphon water out of the barrels in the pickup because they were too heavy to lift down, obviously. So we would siphon that water into the empty barrels at home, and then that's how we would operate. And for three months, uh, that first part of my uh, time there on Yap, that's what we did. Now, when you're rationing water like that, uh, you're saving every drop. Um, of course, you have to have good water for drinking. So we would boil that water and put it in the, our little refrigerator. And uh, and then we would use the, the water for bathing. And I figured out really quickly how to take a bucket shower with about two or two and a half gallons of water. And... Um, you heat up one gallon, so it's almost boiling, dump it in a, a bucket, put a, a gallon of cold water in, and uh, then use that little cup to put over you. You lather up, including your hair, and then rinse off. And uh, that's pretty much all you had to do. It was easy. And um, you could you could ration the water out that way, and, and it would... that. 200 gallons would get us through about a week. And uh, so that little three months of, of having to ration water taught me that it's very possible for people to become resilient when you have to. And you figure out ways to survive. And you realize what your, what your resources are and you don't waste stuff. And the kids learn not to waste stuff. And so anyway, that's a that was a good lesson to learn. So my first week on Yap, uh, Pita told me that uh, he and I were going to be in charge of the scout troop. They had a boy scout troop out there. And uh, he was the scout master and I guess I was his assistant. And it was kind of fun. We had fun uh, just helping those boys, um, you know, learn about physical fitness and, and about uh, games and tying knots and, you know, scout stuff. Now, we have to keep in mind, everybody, that the Boy Scouts of America is just that. It's, a, it's an American or a Western organization. And uh, so these kids on YAP... Um, thought it was kind of cool because it was stuff that they did in the United States and other places in the West. But a lot of the merit badges and things like that that, you know, that you, you're probably familiar with, they had no interest whatsoever in some of that stuff. Like compass, you know, orienteering, um anything having to do with um, just scout stuff that was kind of from the book, they, they didn't have much interest in. But, you know, things like boating, swimming, even first aid, they thought that was pretty neat stuff and use, useful. And uh, about a month and a half after I got there, we took these Boy Scouts out onto O'Keefe Island, that island is a, a little rock about 150, maybe 200 yards off from out in the, uh, the main lagoon 
uh, there off of Yap. And a couple of hundred years ago, this guy named O'Keefe would float a ship in there with, with um, all kinds of trading goods and would trade with the Yappies. And uh, because of the, the shallow uh, part of the lagoon um, near the main island, he had to moor his ship out there on O'Keefe. And, and when I was there, the, the big um, um, posts in the ground uh, where he tied his ship were still there. It was kind of neat to see that. Anyway, we spent about three days out there on O'Keefe Island with the Boy Scouts. And we had a lot of fun just um, playing and doing scout stuff. And um, one of the things I noticed about those kids out there on, on Yap when they would go camping is we set up this big Coleman tent. And none of those kids had sleeping bags or blankets or pillows or anything like that. They didn't take any of that with them. Maybe they didn't have it. I don't know. But when they, when they went to bed at night, the boys slept in that tent. And they just slept on the ground, you know, on the floor of the tent, like puppy dogs. Didn't curl up with, in a blanket or anything. They just laid down and went to sleep. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Never seen that happen before. I can't sleep without at least a blanket over me and something underneath me. But anyway, those kids, I guess, were used to that. And, uh, and that's how they operated. Well, those are the stories I'll uh, leave you with today. I'll have more uh, on the next episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a nice day. You've been listening to Biz Break, product of Voice Right Media.